been a good uh, good start to our service. Just uh, quiet, a little reflective, and that is good. We come to the Word today, and we pray that it would it would sink in to our hearts. We'd be open and receptive to it. Sometimes we come into this place on a Sunday if it's something that's regular. It's our our routine, and we sometimes miss maybe a maybe a key step in the process. It's not like it's um, completely outlined in any way in, in the word that says this is how you need to, to come into the church. But, but I think there's a, a bit of preparation that sometimes we, we miss out on. We're kind of scrambled. Some of you I know have had really hard weeks and some of you have had very full weeks. And so Sunday is a, is a day where you maybe have some opportunity to rest sometimes just a little bit of a break or a ceasing of of work but there's also a time where you just say okay lord i'm I'm, i want to listen i want to pay attention i want to bend my will to yours i want to be aligned to you and so let me just give you an opportunity i know we've just prayed but just to say lord i'm I'm listening i want to i want to hear what you have to say to me today through your word and i want to pay attention Amen. When I was in uh, Bible school, I had just graduated uh, from high school. I was uh, I was just a, a young man. I was 17. As you know, my birthday was just uh, a little while ago, and so I, I turned 18 in my uh, right, right after high school and uh, into Bible school. And so I was pretty young, farm kid, didn't uh, have too much knowledge of the ways of the world or whatever. But I went to Bible school thinking. This is a perfect world. Nobody sins here. Well, maybe I didn't quite go that far, but I was think I had pretty high expectations of Bible school, living in the dorm and just thinking this is going to be this is going to be so impacting on my spiritual life and it was. But I think when I first started out, I had I had these pretty high expectations of those that I lived with uh, those that I lived in community with and also those who were my teachers. And one of the things that, that I did, as I look back and I kind of chuckle about, but uh, when I played, I played hockey, and I was pretty small uh, at that time, and I didn't, you know, try out for, like, the big team too much, and I didn't make it, but I played intramurals. And one of the, we, had, we formed a team with a bunch of buddies, and we, we played with the same group of guys pretty much, um, you know, a few in and out, but all for four years, and we got to be good friends. Uh, but we played uh, kind of this intramural sports thing in Bible college, and, and one of the teams was the, the staff and faculty team. They formed a team. And some of these guys, you know, teachers and, and staff at, at college, were, were actually very good hockey players. Like, they had played a high level of hockey and now, you know, a little bit older, but they were still pretty good. And we had some very competitive games with the, with the staff. And there was one particular prop who I, I admired I looked up to a lot but you know you get that guy out on on the ice 
And uh, he was competitive, he was pretty intense, and let's say he was somewhat dirty. <laughs> In the corners, behind the net, uh, he was aggressive. And for me as this young, you know, kid, you know, I'm just thinking, what is, what is going on, you know? Uh, I mean, I was competitive, but, but this guy was like next level. And, and I don't think it was something that he used a lot of bad language, but there was just some tempers flaring. And, and if any of you have played, you know, competitive sports or even some, you know, Christian sports, you know, like, there's, there's the thing, right? It's, it's just like, uh, it's not that you hang up your, your, your uh, integrity, but, you know, sometimes it's just like, well, let's just try really hard here. But, so this bothered me that uh, this particular prof was, was acting in this way. And so I decided, you know what, I got to confront him. I got I to gotta, I gotta do something, right? But I thought, well, I can't, I don't think I can do it right to his face. So I'm going to, I wrote him a letter, right? And I, I remember, I wrote down this letter, and I, I do remember, I think I, I did pray about it. And I just wrote out some things, like this is some things that I, I kind of thought I'd expect of, of someone of your position and how you would conduct yourself on the ice, Right? <laughs> And, uh, and, I, and I gave it to him. And then, I don't know, it was a few days later, he came up to me in the dining hall, and, and he, he looked me right in the eye and, and said, you know, thank you for your, for your letter, and, uh, and I appreciate, you know, that. And uh, now I look back and I think, man, like I, what was I thinking? But maybe it was helpful to him, and it did teach me something. But I think it's the point of, of this story, as I think about it, is, uh, it, is, it is difficult to confront someone. It's something that in our world, especially in our Christian culture, uh, even though we see examples in the Bible of, of and we're going to look at one today, but where there is a, there's a rebuke, uh, you know, there is a, there's this, this idea of exhortation that some people have the gift of, and there's one side is, is like an encouragement, right? It's just like building up, it's edifying. And then there's this other side that is this, this rebuke or correction side of it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, it's, I mean, it's a lot easier to, to encourage. And it's a lot, a lot easier to be encouraged <laughs> than sometimes it is to actually point out the flaw in someone else or, or also have that come back at you. It's difficult. And so sometimes it's uncomfortable and we don't do it. In today's scripture, we're going to see that there is a, a confrontation in the book of Galatians. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles or your scripture journal to Galatians. We're in chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 11 to 16 today. And this is a, a confrontation in the church. And it's a, it's a battle of really heavyweights. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. And so let's, uh, let's get into it. And this is the Apostle Paul writing this. And he says, but when Cephas, which is Peter, that's his Aramaic name, when he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We're going to stop there. Now, to uh, enforce this uh, idea or, or illustrate this idea today, I have a couple of, uh, of tables here. And uh, just for, for illustration, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move this way, so hopefully the camera is going to be okay if I move a little bit. Otherwise, I'll just be off camera. Now, so we have these, uh, these tables, and it's going to illustrate what was going on in the life of this church, particularly in Antioch and throughout Galatia as, as the Apostle Paul is writing uh, this particular letter. Now, there's a clear separation, all right? Now, we have on this hand, we have over here, and the colors are just for distinction, uh, but this one is going to represent the, the Gentiles. And we've been talking about the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The non-Jews. Okay, this is the Gentiles. And over here we have, this is a table representing the Jews. Okay, now the, the whole thing here is, is the confrontation that's happening between the Apostle Paul and Peter. Like I said, it's kind of a, kind of a heavyweight tilt that's going on here. Um, I don't think it came to, came to blows, but there was words that the Apostle Paul in particular is, is sharing and speaking out pretty boldly about Peter and his actions and what he did. Now, I just look at this, and I, I don't really know uh, if this is, I don't know, too, too much involved in it, but I, I just picture in my mind, I picture Peter and I don't know, there's pictures of Peter we have sort of from tradition, or maybe you've seen some movies about, about Peter, or just what we know from Scripture about his character, that I, I see him, you know, this fisherman, that he's probably kind of a, a burly guy, he's like a tradesman, he's, he's, uh, he's just impulsive, like he steps out there, you know, he grabbed this, you know, sword, and he cut off the servant. Like I see him as kind of, a, kind of a big guy, kind of an intimidating guy, I don't know. But then you see the Apostle Paul, and what we, what we hear and we read about the Apostle Paul is that he, he probably wasn't a guy of very big stature. Um, he wasn't very intimidating in his physical presence. Uh, he probably was bald, but, you know, I won't say anything more about that. Um, you know, he was sick. He had different illnesses kind of thing that he, he, he maybe just wasn't really that much of an intimidating thing. So here he is, the Apostle Paul, and he's standing up to, to Peter, who also at this time... Was, had proven himself and, you know, as one of the, as we've been saying, the, the large A apostles in the early church, right? That he's the leader of it. He's the one that the Spirit came upon and he preached in Jerusalem and it, it, the Spirit came upon those who were gathering there and like, this is Peter, right? He, no slouch. And yet this is, this is something that has happened that has brought division into the church that, that Paul says, no, I can't, I can't stand for that and I'm going to deal with it. And so what we're going to do is talk about these, these two tables and how that ultimately will give us some, uh, some application instruction for, for today as well. All right, so we're, first of all, let's talk about this, this table trajectory. First of all, I'm going to make my words bigger because for some reason today I can't see a thing. 
All right, 16 font, I'm good now. It's getting older, man. It doesn't feel great. Okay, <laughs> here we go. All right, so first of all, we're going to look at the, this trajectory of these, of these tables. And so we have, first of all, this, this Jewish table. This is where the, the history has all come down. This is where the law came to the Jews, all right? And, and this was part of the, the covenant relationship that God established with his people, Israel. And he handed this down, but he, it's very clear, and we'll refer back to this throughout this series in Galatians, is that the people of, of Israel, the Jews, it was never meant that they would just be this, this nice little special group, you know, the, the favorites of God. The idea was that they would actually be his chosen instrument, that they would bring light, that they would bring blessing to all nations. That was part of the covenant with Abraham. But they got very self-focused. But part of the teaching of the law that they received was included some of these, these dietary restrictions, and, and really the rules around the table, and, and that's how they, they kind of enforced it, who they could actually eat with, and it was a sign of acceptance as well, who you would eat with. Now, John Mormon talked about this a little bit last week, so I'm not going to go back and go over all that, but if you're interested in, in all the things as far as the dietary laws, uh, read Leviticus and uh, enjoy it. Uh, there's all kinds of things, but this was the instructions of God to his people about things that they could eat and couldn't eat, things that were clean, things that were unclean, things that should be offered as sacrifices, and things that should be avoided. Now, there's all kinds of reasoning and understanding. If you're, you're interested in that kind of thing, like, go for it. I'm not going to unpack it all, but that was, that was the law that was given to the people for their health, for their, their um, being set apart from other nations, and so that was their table stuff involved being restricted from certain types of food. And as a result of that, they also was a restriction as far as who they would actually eat with. So they were, and they took that also to another level of being like they don't accept those that were uh, of the Gentiles. Because even in their culture, and our culture is, is similar in a way, when we have people at our table, we invite people over, there's, a, there's this acceptance, there's this recognition that you're, you're welcome in my home. And this was something that was a wall that had brought division between Jews and Gentiles. Because they said, we're not, we're not eating uh, with you. The religious Jews, they also took this farther down the line to another level that was never intended. A Jewish man, for example, would commonly pray, thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile or a woman. This was their prayer. And so that was the, that was the beginning of, of it from the Jewish table. Now, along comes Jesus... And wouldn't you know it, as we read through the Gospels, he's, he comes and he, he sits at the Jewish table, right? He sits down and he, he says, I, I accept you. Like, I, I'm going to come and have relationship with you. And this is what the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they could not stand, right? And so they said, this is, you cannot be the Messiah. You, you're stepping outside of the, the Jewish restrictions and you're actually eating with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. And this is who Jesus said, and, he's, and Jesus came into their homes. So this was the beginning of the opening of the door that, that Jesus, in his term, he was called, and he preferred this term, the Son of Man. 
that he, his ministry, his love, his acceptance would be for, for all people. His death and resurrection was going to be an invitation for all people. He was going to be the fulfillment of the law. And so he comes, and he, this is now the, the door that's open through Jesus. Now, then we see in Acts, this is where it starts with the, the start of the early church. The Spirit comes upon them, and then we, we come back to this, this Jewish table. There's hundreds of years of ceremonial dietary laws, and, and they're keeping, this is pretty hard for the, the Jews to actually uh, break free from. And even for the disciples of Jesus, who, who were with him at times when he was sitting, you know, with tax collectors and sinners, and I don't know all the things that they were wrestling with at that, but they said, this is, this is Jesus. And so, but then early church starts, there's still this tension. And even the disciples had, had challenges uh, being, breaking from that, those traditions. But as we see in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter receives this, this vision of this sheet coming down. Again, John talked about that last week. Of all these animals and reptiles and birds. And this, you know, the, the Lord says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. I've never done that. And I'm not starting now. Three times. This is what he's told. Rise, kill, and eat. And the, and this, and the Lord says to him, um, this is what I have I've made clean. What God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. And in the process, it leads Peter to Cornelius, a Gentile. And as he preaches and, and tells them about Jesus, there is the gift of the Spirit is poured out even on the Gentiles. And so the eyes of Peter are, are open to this. Now, so at some point, now Peter has had this, this very Spirit-filled illumination. And he, he goes to Antioch, and he actually starts living it. He didn't just, just receive this from the Lord, but he says, well, I could just preach it, <laughs> but actually, I could live it. And that means actually coming to the table with the Gentiles. And that's what Peter does. And it's a, it's a regular occurrence in, in Antioch, in the churches in Galatia. This is what has been happening. Jews and Gentiles have actually been, been coming together and everyone knows this everyone sees this that peter is doing this and that he has no issue sitting at a table with gentiles well then along comes paul paul's recently converted after time of persecuting christians and this is his reputation and we've read this already in, in galatians where he's defending his apostleship and he's saying that he's received this message directly from the Lord. And he is called, again, as John said last week, he's called to the Gentiles. Peter to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. This is his mission. And so again, he starts, starts living this and teaching that justification, being de declared righteous, acceptable to God, is, is only through faith, not through works, not through legalism, not through law-keeping, only through God's grace received by faith. That's, that's it. That's what Paul's ministry was. That's what he was teaching. And so through the Apostle Paul and, and his ministry in these churches, these tables were brought together. And they worshipped together. And they fellowshiped together. They shared the Lord's table together. 
But now we come to this passage, and there's an apparent, there's a setback. And this is what we read in this text today. So there's a confrontation. And we see, as we just read, that this was public. Paul opposes Peter to his face in front of the church. Now, we don't know. If, here, here's the thing, as we read in Matthew 18, that there's a, there's a, a way of, of church discipline or calling someone out or rebuking someone that is done personal. So if someone, someone offends you, someone sins against you, you would go to, to them personally, right? Confront them. They don't listen, you bring others along with you. They still don't listen, you bring it to the church. And so here's what happens here. Paul, he, we don't know for sure you know, what happened. Maybe he approached Peter, you know, first of all, and said, Peter, like, what are you doing? I, you know, you, you were, you were always sitting around having shrimp scampi with us, you know. Now all of a sudden, what? You're, maybe, maybe this is what happens. He talks to him individually, and it doesn't happen, doesn't change anything, and, and we fast forward. The other side of this, though, is, is very potentially that this was a public issue. This wasn't a personal affront. It wasn't a personal offense against Paul. This was a gospel issue. This was a church fellowship issue. This was something that was going to have, as we'll see, huge impact throughout the whole church. And so Paul, um, you know, gutsy as he is, maybe as, you know, small in stature as he is, or I don't know, maybe he wasn't, but he's just like, he takes on Peter publicly and calls him right out. His hypocrisy. He calls him out for being a hypocrite. This hypocrite, this word being a play actor, a theatrical term, someone that was on stage wearing a mask, playing a role. And we come to understand this, this idea of a hypocrite being someone that their, their actions don't line up with their words. So they say one thing, but they, they do another. So what happens? There's some men that come from James, from Jerusalem, from the church in, Jer in Jerusalem. We don't know exactly who these, these people are. It's a little bit confusing because James has already offered the right hand of fellowship to Paul and says, bless you. We, we believe in your ministry. The Barnabas connected them and they said, yes, we, we agree. We see that the Lord has, has led you to this. We know that it, that's your mission. And so they've had, you know, this full affirmation from the church in Jerusalem but there's these, these men that come. Now, only thing, you know, you could say they were, they were some faction or some, you know, right-wingers or whatever, fundamentalists of the, the church there that still had this problem. You got to realize this was a very tenuous time in the life of the church as far as coming out of hundreds of years of, of these law-keeping law things where that was what was understood, how you're acceptable to God was through keeping the law. And there's this, this change that's happening. Anyways, these guys come. We don't know who they are, but they've got some kind of clout. And Peter just folds like a chief tent. You know, he's just like, okay, he just completely backtracks. And so they come along, and, and suddenly he brings separation again. Separates. He, doesn't, he stops eating with the Gentiles. Does a complete 180. Reverts to eating only with the Jews. Why does he do this? It doesn't seem that this is a matter of his conscience where he, he was thinking, okay, I've received this vision from the Lord. 
and, and he's also potentially, as we read in Acts, that he's, he's been teaching this and saying, this is what the Lord has revealed to me, that Gentiles also can receive the Spirit. Gentiles are acceptable to God without becoming circumcised, without following all the restrictions. He's been teaching this, preaching this, living it. It doesn't seem that all of a sudden he had this reversal of, of conscience and saying, yeah, maybe that sheet thing was just like bad pizza or something. Like, I don't know. He doesn't go there. I don't think in his conscience. I think it's just outward peer pressure. It's fear. And we see that this is a case for Peter throughout the Gospels, where fear takes hold of him in different situations. On one hand, he just seems like he's all in. He's just like, go for it. And then all of a sudden, coward, right? See this, he's on the boat with Jesus. You know, he says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. Walk on the water. And, and he does. He takes the step. But what happens? He sees the wind and the waves. Fear takes hold of him and he starts to sink. You see him sitting around a fire. You know, Jesus is, has been betrayed. And they're out. They're looking for people. And, and Peter, weren't you with him? Aren't you counted with, with Jesus? And he's like, no, I don't know the man. Fear takes hold of him. And so we would think, well, Peter, you've now fully, you've, you've met the resurrected Lord. You've experienced the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It would be completely transforming of your, of your life. In a lot of ways it was. But you know what? He still had some character flaws. Just like me and you. Come to Christ. But we're not perfect. And so fear takes hold in, in Peter, and he bows to the pressure. The reshaping of God by his spirit continues, even in the apostles. So Paul calls this out, not just, uh, it's not just, you know, hypocrisy is something that's, wow, this is kind of affecting our, ch our church unity, um, let's have a congregational meeting or something. No, he calls it out as being theologically wrong. Not just a power play between two influential leaders who thought differently and said, you know what, you think that, I think this. Let's just agree to disagree. Wasn't that way at all for Paul. This was a gospel central issue. See, what Jesus had accomplished on the cross was universal for all people, for all places, all times. And to come together through his sacrifice and be forgiven and accepted by God... And in that, to become one family, this was central gospel truth. And so what Peter was doing was a complete aberration of the gospel. And Paul was not going to stand for that, not on his watch. So what was the impact? Well, as we see in summary in this, in this passage, we see the impact of fallout. First of all, it says that other Jewish Christians followed Peter in his hypocrisy. So these Jewish Christians had been there under the teaching of Paul, and, and they had been fine. They had been joining the Gentiles at the table. They were, again, worshiping together. But Paul reverts back, and what happens? They follow Peter. They follow Peter back. And it says, even Barnabas was led astray. There was impact because of Peter's hypocrisy. The impact was ultimately, obviously, that there was a divided table. It wasn't just about, you know, eating potluck in separation, saying, okay, you guys go to the fireside room and the rest of us are going to the foyer. This would have also included the Lord's table. 
what was ordained by Jesus following his resurrection for the church to continue to remember his sacrifice as one body. His sacrifice and celebrating reconciliation with the Father through the death of Jesus. Can you imagine? This is what Peter and the Jews, along with the Gentiles, had been enjoying fellowship, sharing meals, and also remembering the Lord together, and then all of a sudden, nope, not no more. You go over there. You're on your own. And so this was, in fact, a distorted gospel that Peter was reverting to. In doing so, Peter was, in effect, saying that by his actions, that what the Gentiles had in Christ was inadequate, was insufficient. And so they were second-class citizens in the kingdom. And again, Paul said, no, that's not going to happen. Now, the fall, the, what happens as a end result of this, we see later on in Peter. Uh, Peter writes his, his letters uh, later on, years later. And we see uh, where he calls Paul his dear brother. There was obviously some reconciliation. There's also a bit of um, confusion. They don't exactly know in the timeline when this happened, but if you read in Acts chapter 15, there was the big council of Jeru of, at Jerusalem and where they made this very clear that there was going to be a united table. It was not going to be a separation. They were not going to put on the, the Gentiles what, was, um, what the Jews had previously expected of them. And so there was unity that came out of this, and there was fellowship. There was not a separating of the ways. And so Paul stood up for what was right, and he said, yeah, this is not the right gospel that you are presenting, and it brought correction to it. All right, so that just final some things for us today. What does this mean for us? I think there's some clear cautions for us. First of all is, is power. Um, use all of my nice P words there. Uh, but power, more, more I guess in terms of power, just being as far as leadership, in terms of influence that, that we have. Um, this is a clear reminder that, that leaders among us have influence. And our attitudes and our actions, they carry weight. Recognizing that human leaders are, are imperfect, we're going to make mistakes. Recognizing that potentially some in this room or some who have left this room have experienced church hurt, painful experiences with church leaders. It's going to happen. It's sad. It's a warning. It's a caution. We should be careful. We should also recognize that we need to pray for our leaders. Pray for your pastor. Pray for our, our board of elders. Pray for our ministry leaders. Pray for more leaders. I'll be honest, this is a, this is a common thing that, you know, a lot of churches are, are struggling with. People don't want to step into leadership roles. Because you, you kind of put a, a target on you pretty quickly when you say, I'm a leader. Thank you to each of you that has stepped into those roles. We had a, a ministry community meeting this last week. And man, how encouraging was that just to have a room full of people that are, are stepping into the gap and leading 
uh, volunteers uh, in our church that are, are leading ministries. But it's, it's hard. It's challenging. So pray, pray for them. Pray for us. And also, if you've been called to lead, and this is what, what Paul also says in his writings, he says, you know, if you've been gifted to lead, called to lead, then get after it. Step up. Don't ignore the calling of God in your life to, to lead. And it might not look, you know, just like a, one of the ministries of our church, but in an area where, where you can serve and be faithful and invite others to come alongside you, to lead them, it's hard but if you're called to that, don't cower from it. You won't do that alone. You'll have the power of the Spirit within you. You're going to make mistakes, but we also need to be gracious with our leaders. But it's a caution to us who are in leadership. Let's talk about privilege. Let me ask you this. Is there anything in you that you hold on to that gives you a reason in your mind to be above anyone else, to separate, to segregate from anyone else, any class distinction, any, anything that would say, well, my, my upbringing gives me this benefit, or my education, or it's, you know, just the, the pride of like, man, I, I listen to more podcasts than anyone, right? Smart. Maybe your heritage, what neighborhood you live in, what money is in your investment portfolio, how long you've been at this church. Even thinking as you look down the row, you know, my sin isn't as bad as, as that person down there. Can you hear the clear message in Galatians that we are made right with God only because of Jesus? There's nothing that you can do that gives you any advantage over anyone else it's only because of Jesus. At the same time, maybe you feel today that, man, I, you don't, don't, the privilege thing is far from you. Like you feel like you have nothing. You have nothing to give. You have nothing to offer. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm in my state right now, my health is, is challenging to me. I can't offer much. Maybe you're thinking, man, I, I, don't, I don't have much in my bank account. I can't give. We, we hear our, our financial report and something in you just says, man, I wish that I could Give more. And you, right now you just can't. And so that attitude that goes inside you feels like all of a sudden you feel like you're inadequate. You're second class citizen. And that's a lie. Again, the gospel, you're only, only acceptable before God because of Jesus. Nothing that you do or don't do. It's just because of Jesus. Okay, let's talk about peacekeeping real quick, and then we're wrapping up. So there's this guy, Barnabas. He was an encourager. It doesn't say anything really why he went with Peter, um, but he was actually the reason that Paul even was brought to the other apostles after, you know, his conversion. And so, but in this instant, he goes along with Peter. Again, it doesn't say why, but maybe, maybe you're thinking, okay, Peter, intimidating guy. You might beat me up. I don't know. I think I could take Paul. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just, he, he goes with Peter, sides with Peter. And, and perhaps it was just this thing like, what, what is the harm, right? I just want to keep peace, right? I, I have friends in Jerusalem, got friends here in Antioch, and, and I, just, I just want, can everybody just get along? And so the idea of being like, well, you do your thing, 
and these guys will do their thing, and it's all good in the hood. That's sometimes a way that we think about when we come to, to conflict in the church. We just want to keep peace. We just want to keep peace. And we are, we are Anabaptists. We are Mennonite brethren. We love peace. That's part of our DNA is supposed to be that we keep peace. And we seek peace. But it's not a peace at any cost. And that's what Paul teaches us here is that that was not his motto. Peace at any cost. Sometimes we get people-pleasing confused with keeping peace. So hear this, that the gospel of grace is generous. But it also can offend. There's going to be some things that we, we talk about, we call, as Paul does in other places, disputable matters. Things that we can say, ah, you know what, we don't see eye to eye on that. It's not a core bucket one central gospel issue. We can agree to disagree and worship together in peace. And there's other things that are like, you know what, that's the core truth of the gospel and we're not going to mess around with that. And we've got to call that out. Finally, pressure. Uh, be on the lookout for outside influences that pressure you to reshape the gospel into something that it's not. This could come from culture. This could come from religious ideas. In this, we need to be shaped by the teaching of God's word, seeking to know biblical truth, growing in our understanding of the gospel, and then developing strong convictions to live that out based on the truth that's in God's word. I'm going to leave partiality. It's pretty connected to the other ones. So interesting conclusion. This is how Paul uh, finishes part of this section in verse 16. He says this, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And so today, the, the word, the message is still true for us today, that there should be no separation. There is one table... And that is in Christ. This is what we, we need to hold on to. This is what we live. This is what we preach. There's times where we make mistakes. But let you and I, let the church of College Drive here, commit ourselves to saying there's one gospel, there's one truth, there's one Lord, one Savior, one message of hope that's found in what Jesus did for him, and that each of us, wherever we are at in life, wherever we've come from, whatever we've done, whatever we haven't done, we come to Jesus. And he says, welcome. Let's pray. God, we... We humbly say today, uh, where we have fallen short, where we have caused distinctions among us, where we have considered ourselves in any way better than anyone else, we confess where we have added things to the gospel that have brought distortion. We simply come today 
and we say we need Jesus, and you have done it for us. I pray that our church would be a place of welcome, a place where others would come in and be accepted, that we would hold out the truth of the gospel, and it would bring change and transformation to not only our lives, but to our community and and to this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.